0: Welcome back to The Coaching Bubble, where we explore all things coaching. I'm your host, Stephen Behan, and this show is for everyone. All coaches, all sports, from novice to elite, and we hope to leave you with some tips and advice from some of the most interesting people in the field. Today we have David Herity on the show. David is the current manager of the Dublin Senior Camogie Team. In his first year, Dublin reached their first All-Ireland semi-final in 27 years and had seven All-Star nominations. As a player, David has five All Ireland medals as goalkeeper with Kilkenny. And during the show, we talk about life under Brian Cody, making the transition from player to coach, and we discuss how we can empower players to better themselves. As always, the goal of the podcast is learning, and I hope you can take something from the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. So, David, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Um, we'll get to your coaching career shortly, but I first want to ask you about your time playing with Kilkenny, if that's okay. So. You obviously played under brian cody uh massive success uh, brian has had over the years your your training sessions were the stuff of legend and some of the stories coming out of those internal games uh well i hope some of them are rumors but the, i'd love to get your insight in terms of uh the ferociousness was uh, was told all around the country
1: yeah there was, the, there has been a lot uh, made of those sessions you know going back to the one major thing I always noticed about any of those training sessions was straight away from the start that if training was at seven, I know the keepers would always be on the field no later than a quarter past six. They'd set the tone themselves to make sure that they got a session in nearly before the actual training session got in so that you know they got their work right in. And From there then, as soon as training started, they were always brilliantly organised. It was always a method to what... We wanted done on the field and then when it got down to the time of the matches, I suppose the 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 hits weren't as you know as frequent some of them, but when they came, like you know, some straight away now even thinking back and it just stood out a mile, like there's just even in my opening year there, P. J. Lenny and Pat Hartley, two big, massive tall lads, six foot something lads, and just going hammering tongs at each other, like literally creasing each other on the ground. And then, you know, even another day there, a few of the boys, I've said it before, like this one of the, one that sticks out in my head is between Richie Hogan and Tommy Welsh, where Richie was obviously running around the place and Tommy didn't want this anymore. So he, uh, he just, he swung back or Richie swung back as Tommy was holding his jersey and he hit Tommy straight in the chest and you could feel Tommy wince from it. But the only reaction Tommy knew was because he knew if, if he let go, Richie was going to go. So he. Swung as hard as I've ever seen someone swing and just straight across Richie's chest and the only thing to protect him is Richie just about got his hurl up and then afterwards in the showers the two boys Richie was there with his big streak across his chest Tommy walked in kind of little giddy head in him shoulders up laughing away and kind of that was it there was no you know Richie laughed back at him and that that was it they'd look at the they'd look at the belt and kind of go that was it that's what happened at the time and it's you know there was never any nothing was ever brought from the pitch into the dressing room you'd have fierce respect for some of the lads because the hits were raw like they'd pull early they'd pull hard but then that was it it was just left on the training field and you just move on and uh, you know lads had great respect and and everyone gave it absolutely everything on the field and you knew that but they were very clever as well the lads that any of those hits then especially some of the fairly ferocious ones weren't then brought to the field, you know, in Championship, that they'd ever give away. Like, you look back in Brian's career, I'd say you could probably pick in over 20 years, a handful, maybe five sentence off, ever or less. So lads knew when and where to go at war and when then to control it.
0: So that would that have been a, a sort of a, an indication of how competitive the squad would have been during those years?
1: Definitely, yeah. You, you knew yourself that if a lad was getting the better of you, you know, there was a chance you'd lose your spot you know, another day there there was a ball thrown down, like you, you talk there was no need to stop training and, and you know, Brian rarely if ever blew the whistle. But you knew kind of remember one day again in, in Abbottstown, a, a long ball came into Colin Fenley, who generally have the the first few steps on any defender and it was Jackie on the day and Jackie decided he wasn't going to get the ball so he pulled across Colin's head and Colin dropped to the ground and there was no need stopping the play. It was just literally Brian just went, Jackie, hey, don't do it that was it, done, and then it was Colin get used to it. So it was there you go. The two boys learnt their lesson fairly quickly. There's no point in being completely reckless, and there's no point being soft. And that was kind of how the training sessions went on.
0: A lot of the perception around the place would maybe be that Brian uh, Cody would stand in the middle of the pitch. He wouldn't, ref, he would he'd let the game go. There'd be never a whistle blown. But I imagine there's an awful lot more structure and stuff like that going on, and stuff going on behind the scenes that allows that environment to go.
1: Definitely as well. And I suppose another thing, as well, is, and when I did start coaching as well, sometimes you want everything to go perfect. And, you know, but a match is not like that. A match is chaos. And that's what happens. And you look at any match that's going on, the, the things will happen on the day that you just cannot control. But Brian would take a step back and try and watch it. Don't stop the play. Don't stop at every. You know, twenty times in the match there at training, just let it go, let it flow, and that lads were able to then make up their own minds and try and you know change things that were going wrong in training, in training themselves. Like they they took ownership rather than constantly waiting for feedback off the manager. And I think that kind of fed onto the field and as well in in vital times in championship matches that like you can't hear anything at Crow Park, you can't hear what the manager is saying from one minute maybe to the till time, Then he's able to give you a small bit of you know a few instructions but essentially the lads had to take ownership and that's the way he let it go in training just if chaos happened let it happen and try and sort it out yourselves
0: so that would be a a big part of brian's coaching style let's say in terms of he would try to empower the players to figure stuff out for themselves to solve problems and to to move on that way themselves yeah
1: and he'd he'd often make reference to it that uh you know in in vital games throughout the years that likes of martin comfort be full forward and he'd literally see that the ball wasn't coming into him, so he'd make the switch himself. He knew himself that lads were struggling, just make the switch. I, I know myself, in one of my last games in 2014, I remember, like, the Shane Dowling was giving Paul Murphy, a, you know, a, a fairly torrid time at the start. Shane was with Flyn at the time. And, you know, we had a discussion when there was a 21-yard free during the open play, about 20 minutes into the game, and Jackie kind of said, right, JJ, switch with Paul. And that was it. It was fairly short and snappy but we didn't need to keep looking to the line wait for them to give instructions to come back you know time was too precious you copped on Limerick had a plan they were trying to bring JJ out they were trying to keep Paul in close to the square and try and use the Limerick's height advantage but the lads made their own decisions were able to switch it around a small but it didn't happen every day it didn't need to happen every day but the lads were empowered enough and confident enough to make the decisions on the, the field themselves
0: and as the goalkeeper then would you be saying sort of like as the 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 general or the quarterback, let's say of the of the of the back. So would you be calling a lot of those type of stuff if you had to, if or or would you feel confident in making those calls on the pitch? I you
1: you definitely would. I suppose I I would have been lucky enough to grow up with a lot of these lads from under, under fourteen all the way up to senior, as well. Then you know I had Noel Hickey in in front of me for years there with Kenny as well, and you know I I grew up with Noel. I've played with him for twenty years with the club, so telling them what to do and where to go and how to move that was it. But you know sometimes you have to be. I know myself; I am slightly ignorant as well. Anyway, so lads kind of understand that when you're shouting at them, they understand that you're doing it for a reason. You're not just, you know, you're not just getting on their case. That, um, but I think that's a, a vital part of goalkeeping. You know, I didn't have to make too many saves because I generally thought my organisation was decent, and that if you shout and roar enough and organise your team enough, none of the shots should come in. And uh, that's the way I kept it going. And I think it's. You know, if any time you're ever doing kind of goalkeeping sessions, I think it's the one hidden ingredient that's often left out. Lads know how to do shot stopping and sometimes footwork as well, but communication is key. When to say and what to say and how to say it. You know, you often see the keepers are quite quiet on the field, and it's it's something coaches definitely need to monitor, and it's something I've tried to bring into the to coaching now with Dublin.
0: In terms of playing yourself, five All Irelands. I do, yeah, yeah, it was.
1: It was in fairness. I, I I remember I was with the under twenty one team back in it, when we won in two thousand three and four, and then I was one of one of the players in the two thousand and fourteen team. I think there was twenty played against Tip that day with a great win. I think I was one of four players out of that twenty that never got a call up then with the seniors. So it was uh it was one of those things for years that it was like, jeez, will it, will it ever happen? And thankfully, then things started going well for a club around. 2006 and 7 for myself and I got a call up then in 2008 and I remember even at that stage watching Kakeni win in 6 and 7 you're always thinking that this dry spell is going to eventually just evaporate and Kakeni won't win when I do get in but thankfully when I did I got happened to win 5 and 7 years so it was great
0: I know you were on the pitch for some and not on the pitch for others
1: is it a big difference in them? That's massive yeah in 2008 it was the first year I was in there and it was the year Kakeni Bet Waterford ext- very well and in, and, and it was great. The first one was always great because you just finally you've trained all your life to have an all Ireland medal and I finally had one and that was great. And then 2009 I was a sub and you're thinking to yourself then, you know. I remember even talking to Nordic afterwards underneath in the players lounge, and we're eating cocktail sausages and we were just kind of looking at each other, you know, shrugging the shoulders, going, you know, what does this mean anything really? You know, it was great. It's great to be part of the setup you know but on the day you have to try and have some bit of involvement you just really do and then in 11 and 12 then it was grand I was playing then again and had my involvement then in the 14 campaign so the last two were lovely but the first two is just I suppose it was just a relief to actually get a medal the first one yeah just to get that even whether you're playing or not But then after that you do it's there's no comparison you have to play something even if it's a minute or something in the other and final but um you would be extremely fortunate with Kenny that when the medal presentation came around you'd probably get four four medals a year you know between the Walsh Cup the League Leinster and All-Ireland so you just hand them over to Mam when you get home and that's it they're all in a they're all in a little I know there were there was a lastly band around the boxes there for times and they were just kind of stacked up but I think she's she's made a nice display I think they're mixed in with the under-14s medals and all that other kind of stuff a few football medals there as well so it's a uh, they're at home no they did they did Look the medals are great but um you just generally move on it's I don't know the the weird it's something I've always had anyway that um as soon as you win something or you like you win a game that's it done I don't get any real great enjoyment out of it okay it's a weird thing I know I've, I've kind of even winning an 11 and 12 it I suppose we you know we may we might talk about it later on but I've always strived as a kind of a player and a manager for perfection and unless I get it I'm not happy so I know myself even after the likes of 2011 I wasn't happy with it because not everything went the way I wanted it to go on the day so and still after matches now if I was coaching and we win a game if I'm looking back on the video analysis and I'm not happy with something I don't enjoy the game so it's um, there's a constant there's a constant something there that's nagging me that I always kind of want perfection and that's it and you know as time has gone on I understand that you can't you know you can't get perfection
0: you mentioned your football medals and stuff there, but I didn't realise you played football before. Um, obviously, f- big contrast in in, in Kilkenny between hurling and football. That would be,
1: yeah. Football was a was, the, you know, still is probably my uh, favourite game, favourite sport. Was, I think in goal, it's great because you know you'd, you'd have the certain amount of fitness that you'd have to build up, and you'd spend your time in the gym. But at least then, when you played football, I generally played in the half hour line, so you got to run around. So you're just like a little. A fresh spring lamb just let off your leash. So and So you just your...
0: wanted to get out of the goal basically.
1: Ah yeah, it's just enjoyable but you know, I don't know, there was something about it. I just loved football and I just talked to it and it was just that ability to go out and uh, I suppose as well lads in Kilkenny didn't take it as seriously so when you did go out the field and you had practices and I, it would have went to, you know, it would have kicked off a lot then when I went to St. Patrick's College in, in Drumcondra. I would have spent for five and a half years jeez how long was I in college four and a half years stud- uh, studying but also playing football up there uh, you know every second day so it was you learn an awful amount I would have played with the likes of Shane Ryan there from Dublin and uh, Brian Kavanaugh there from Longford Rory Stapleton from Leash lads like that David Henry as well so it was great you learned an awful amount of them and you came back to Kilkenny and it was great then to try and you know dominate the few club games that you had a year but um, yeah no I played with them in 2007 and eight. It was captain with, with them in eight when we won the National Football League and it was great Be- and then after that that summer I got called in with the hurling, so it was
0: great to have that bit of fitness then built up Obviously Brian Cody is in, in charge of the hurling. in terms of a football manager is he fighting against the tide a lot of the time in terms of trying to push on or, yeah, or it, any football managers you may have had unf- in Kilkenny Unfortunately
1: in, in Kilkenny there is that you're, you're trying to keep on you get a team together like we would have had in, in 2008 that first team in the National Football League, but then straight away, I th- I was kind of related to the, the army. It's like lads go in, do their time, and head off with themselves, and that's it. So the next year there could have been seventeen new lads coming in there, and that's it. And it just keeps rolling over. I know the last few years they've they've, they've entered into the into the British Junior Football Championship, and you know I must say from it was three or four three years ago now, at this stage, we won it. They lost it then the next year, and they've won it the last two years. Then again. But they've kept on to the, the the core group, JJ Grace over and Christy Welch, who's had a lot of success. a Kerry man, a lot of success there in uh, Kilkenny at club level. So they've kept on to the players and they are building every single year, but it's just very difficult then to try and, you know, as soon as they come home then and play in the other in semi-final, it's generally a, a decent enough beating. So I still think it's a long way away from getting back to any sort of a, a National Football League Division 4. It comes down to the players. I think, Everyone has their own responsibility between players, the clubs, and the county. You know, the county board can have a, a county semi-final in March and the final in November. That doesn't do anything for anyone. In the, the next thing, you have the clubs. Some of them don't send in players into the county. Some of them don't even train for the football. You could have, I know, we had a week of a county final there a few years ago. We didn't train for the month coming up to it because it was hurling time. And then you have players as well don't give the commitment and the proper commitment. So I think everyone needs to have a look at themselves before it's... Um, you know, before it can actually improve.
0: I think it's really, it's really good though. As you moved into coaching, that you didn't have just have the experience under Brian with the hurlers and all that success, but you also had to deal with a bit of adversity and stuff like that in terms of the football. Would you say that helped you a lot as you transitioned into coaching?
1: Hey, I think under any manager, you know, Brian doesn't have all the answers. And he'll say that himself. You know, he's he's a fantastic, he's a fantastic motivator. He's brilliant for building confidence in lads, and under Mick Dempsey as well, who's a you know a football man from Leash. He was fantastically organised. He was always trying to make things better, and you know even when we had team holidays, Mick would head off to the likes of Sydney Swans to try and see what they're doing and bring that back. He I know one year he went off to the Argentinian rugby squad as well. So um, little things like that that he's always trying to improve himself as a coach. But uh, you know I think any coach that you've ever had growing up from under thirteen right up to present day. You'll always learn something from them, maybe what to do, or even in some cases, then what not to do, what not to say in the dressing room. But you're constantly learning, and it's um, you know, it's that's a great thing as well. Just like the players, and we'd often say to them at the moment in in Dublin that you just can't complete camogie at no stage have you just finished off and that's you done. Like, you know, same as a coach as well, you're always
0: learning. There's a quote from Clive Woodward that I came across uh, the best coaches are good teachers. Uh, I know you're a teacher yourself. Do you find, I know uh, teaching fourth, fifth or sixth class may be a lot different to dealing with a a senior camogie squad, but do you find skills you may have picked up in teaching are applicable to coaching?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I know um, one of the the best books I ever read, and I read it there two years ago, um, was from David Allered, who would have worked with Clive. Um, It was called The Pressure Principle but in it he spoke about language and how important language is as a coach and a few of the things that you know what he honed in on is just the the negative when coaches are talking so if you're doing a drill and you know just say it's a catching drill a simple hand passing drill and that coaches are constantly like don't drop it don't drop it like it's it's trying to get rid of the negative image in your head you can't it's the first thing that you think of is dropping the ball or don't let it bounce or watch the bounce or whatever you're talking about you know don't let her on your inside you're straight away that's the first image that comes into your head but just about changing the language so instead of saying don't drop it every ball to hand you know keep her on your outside get the block in but just constantly working on the positive because straight away that just you know get the positive image into your head and you, you work it in the classroom then as well instead of saying to everyone you know, stop talking, sit down, you know, or, you know, stop getting out of your chair, just remain calm, lads, sit down, you know, just go on the positive. It's a small little thing, but... You sound a lot politer than any teacher <laughs> I ever had, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know, you, you, you're trying to improve, all right, yeah. But um, uh, the other things, uh, you know, little things as well, in the classroom, kind of, you understand as well that on the pitch and in the classroom, there are different levels of talent and different levels of development and you just have to teach the the player or the the student rather than what's you know sometimes the game that you have to make sure that there's no point in teaching them something they're simply not able to do that you have to differentiate everything and that's another thing that was in that book as well is trying to find the ugly zone for everyone um Simply, you know, you could have some person who simply cannot catch the ball overhead. So that for them, it could be their ugly, ugly zone trying to trying to prove on that scale. But for someone else, and we'd have players that are fantastic at catching. Can they jump up and catch the drill? So you're constantly trying to find the the next level for them, differentiate the drills, and same as in the classroom, differentiate the yeah, lessons.
0: I might get you to expand on that a little because I I guarantee it'll be a lot of co- coaches listening that will be thinking. Uh, Jeannie that's exactly like my team whether it be a juvenile team an adult team or whatever and how I suppose that's one of the biggest the toughest jobs as a coach to cater for the the weakest player and the strongest player and those in the middle as well so maybe you might give us some insights on how you might go about that when you're coaching
1: yeah I, I think it's it's vital that you know before any season that you try and identify exactly where players are strong and where they need to work on and as a management group and then have everyone singing off the same hymn sheet as well. I often find that, you know, and what I loved about Kenny, what you'd learn from them is little things like, there was at no stage did Brian Cody or Mick Dempsey do a drill and the other four selectors or four management just sit over in a corner and just have a chat. You know, everyone kept all the players on their toes made sure that right this lad might be weak you know weak in such a in such an area needs to improve that they'd be over trying to improve him and talking to him and working through it but that everyone was was active and I think as well if you if you identify these few different areas with certain players they mightn't be the strongest on their left but just you know you know then going into a drill if she's not as strong on the left as she should be She'll try and get away, especially if you're doing a first touch drill, she'll try and every single time hit it on her right just that she's not, feels left out. But you just have to go over and try and encourage her, you know, striking on the left to make sure that you're getting that amount of shots in. That's been improved as well, but it's, I think it comes down to all the coaches making sure that, again, that they're honing in throughout little drills as well, being specific with their language. One thing that, that kind of aggravates me as well is, you know, when you hear people saying, well done, that's it, good stuff, that's it, you know, keep it going. But, you know, what do you it just actually just sort of washes over then. Washes over absolutely yeah. everyone. You know, instead of getting specific, if someone does something right, you know, they might run out, they might sidestep a tackle, break through a tackle and hit a miserable shot. There's no point saying well done because then she thinks everything that she did is well done. You know, say fantastic sidestep you know, the strike might be a little bit better next time, but well done, excellent, you know, well done on your catch, great speed, just get specific on what you're happy with them. Yeah, I
0: think that, that being specific in your feedback is really, really important. Uh, uh, Exactly that type of example, because as you say, too many coaches will say, well done, that was great, or that wasn't great, but unless you're given that, Getting really into the nitty gritty that the player's not learning, like they're yeah. not really realizing what's going on.
1: That's it. I'm not, I'm not, what I'm, you know, you bring them in, that's I'm not happy with that, that's not good enough, we've got to get out and improve on that. And you're kind of thinking, well, what wasn't, you know, as a coach, what wasn't, what were you not happy with? Get specific with them so that they're able to go back out. I find as well in my first year coaching that, um, especially in hurling, the way hurling and camogie has gone, that the likes of the rook is has just dominated matches now at this stage, and I found myself going in, lads, we need to go in and win that ruck and get the ball, but at the same time, girls were running in, and they were just losing every single ruck, and you're thinking to yourself, well, have I got specific? Like, you know, when you actually get into a ruck, do you actually tell them to bend the knees? It's something simple, but certain players don't have a clue that when you to got to get in, you got to make yourself as low as possible. you got to keep the ball in front of you. You notice that the, the the girls had the ball between their legs, so one little touch and the ball was gone past them. Even when they then got over the ball, their hand on the hurdle was too long, so when they rose it up the ball was flicked off and it was back into the ruck again. It's small, you know, even the split stance, have the arm out protecting you so that the person can't come in from the side. But there's a lot of direction in that and trying to get all those little things right rather than just go, lads, get in and win the ball.
0: Get in and win the ruck. You would have jumped straight into coaching with the Dublin Senior Lady Camogies, is that right? Yeah, that was it, yeah. And obviously you're a manager now, but did you have a steep learning curve going into that? Did you go in thinking, okay, like what you said, okay, I'm going to get in, we're going to work on X, Y and Z, but then after a point go, okay, I need to take a step back, I need to reassess how I'm doing this, or did you find that you sort of adapted as you went?
1: Yeah, I know the first year I went in, I, I def, and the girls will say it as well, that um, I went in with the Brian Crowley approach that... I don't say hello to him in the car park because that's a sign of weakness like I know Brian wouldn't say hello to us in the dressing room unless we said hello to him first it was just a thing you know it could be only one person in addressing him could be himself and himself he'd walk in he could walk past you but until you said hello he wouldn't say hello to you back so I developed this whole thing that this must be the reason why you win matches to just you know kind of treat him mean and keep him keen kind of job like and it just didn't work it's not it was different mentality everything was a lot of the way I was kind of approached that first year just coaching in, in Dublin uh, with the Dublin Camogie team was just wrong my attitude was wrong and I had to basically stop going with that whole the stick basically and there had to be a small bit of carrot there you know when I was coaching them and that's one thing that I have think I've developed over the years that geez you have to get to know them as well show them a bit of your own personality and they'll show you a bit of yours and just try and make the whole thing fun and enjoyable
0: well, i think that's you mentioned it earlier on in terms of like you want to make sure that you're coaching the person and not necessarily just the skill as well that's
1: exactly it and i you know i'd say that that first crew that i was with i, I wouldn't say i knew any what any of them did for a living what they did in college anything about their families what they were going through in life but you know that does you do have to adapt and it's I'm delighted well I'm, I'm, I am I'm privileged that Dublin gave me the opportunity especially even in the second year then to become manager because it's
0: uh, you know they took a, a risk on a, a fairly rookie lad coming in Pretty good risk on their part in terms of uh, seven All-Star nominations one All-Star and first semi-final since in 26 27 years Yeah things went well the the first year it's it's funny you know and
1: we mentioned it at the end of, of this year that Last year was seen as such a, a massive breakthrough for Dublin Camogie, and you know, then we look back in it, and we'd won four games, I think, out of eleven. You know, but it was just the fact that we got to the semi final. We got three wins, we had one win in the league, none in Leinster, and then three wins in championship, and things worked out well, and we got a great win against Wexford against getting into semi final. But I'd be far more happy with this year's progress, albeit we did we got bet in the quarter final. Like we had seven results this year, in the same amount of matches but there's um you know they just I even from last year I was trying to get the essentials right even positioning on the field the way you wanted them to play but this year i just thought that they they played f- far greater there was a lot more ownership on the players and they took on that responsibility as well and on the field they were able to organize themselves the communication was much better i know unfortunately we didn't end up in our last game was our worst performance of the year but still there was large for large periods of that, and especially in the first half, they did exactly what we want. We just didn't have the the finishing power. Things, you know, we made the wrong decisions and that. But it was uh you know, I, I must say I'd be far more happy with this year rather than last year. You sound like you enjoy the coaching. I do yeah, I know last year I, I was manager and coach. This year I took a, a slight step back then to try and, you know, see the bigger picture. This year I brought in David Curtin as well and uh no, I enjoy, I love the coaching. I I enjoyed because I suppose it would have been a natural progression from when you're playing in goal, you generally spend 60 minutes just looking out the field and seeing what's going on. Even when you're taking a puck, you might have the ball 30 times in your hand, but you spend most of it just standing around looking, seeing what the manager is doing, what changes he's making. So for me, trying to go into coaching and trying to go into Management was a was a natural enough progression. I know myself, I wouldn't be, I would not have been happy with my own playing career. I know you you start listing out awards there and that kind of stuff, but I always just feel there's another level that I could have got to. Same with the coach and the management, and I'm, my main aim then is to try and get other players to that level.
0: Yeah, well, I'll bring you back. You mentioned earlier on that you're striving for perfe- perfection all the time, and even your playing yourself, or in in now being involved in management and coaching. So obviously you can't get perfection. Do you have to try and strike a balance when you're working with a team? Yeah, um,
1: yeah. Like I suppose when I was with Kenny, I suppose you know the, you talk about philosophy and all that. That when I was with Kenny, the aim was to to strive for, for perfection. That was it. But then you know I saw the the quote there from Vince Lombardi that it was strive for perfection and you might catch excellence along the way. And I think that's the I've I've. Try to take a small bit of a step back and be happy that if girls aren't doing everything right, that even if they're doing it very well or doing it excellently, that I should be happy enough with that. And that is that requires patience, and it's not something I'm great with, to be honest. You
0: Are young to
1: try and better themselves? Yeah, and again, you know, you, you talk about the transition as, as a coach. I know last year I would have spent a lot of time telling them what to do, and this year I I think as well that I told them why they're doing it. And I think I lost out in that last year that basically I was telling them where to go, what to do and all this kind of stuff. But it's uh, this year, you tried to introduce the why into it because I found myself they were doing things but didn't know why they were doing it. And if you're there shouting and roaring at someone to do something and they don't have a clue why, they're just going to end up getting pissed off at you. There's a certain way that I have to try and put that across as well as... As manager, there's a nice way of putting it, and I think just this year I've I've calmed down a small bit further and tried to make them try to teach them basically why so we're you're, doing you're this. You're mellowing
0: out a little bit with age David, is that it's it? very <laughs> <laughs> It's like an an iceberg melting out. It's, <laughs> it's fairly small now. Um I just I wanna uh, ask you a little bit. You played at such an elite level for so long. Um do you bring do you bring the stuff that you use as a player, or you might have seen in terms of mental preparation, into your coaching? So you mentioned that Brian was very good at motivating people and making people feel confident. Do you try and bring that into your own coaching, or is that something that you're aspiring to do? If that does that make sense? I'm Just yeah, wondering no, what it, sort of mental prep you would maybe try and do with your teams.
1: Brian was excellent at that. I suppose it was very easy when he had the as well when he had the players and and there was massive mental belief. You know, a lot of what Brian preached was hard work and he didn't get away, you know, if you can win your own ball. I know we used to always laugh at him that he had two tactics and one was like, if you can win the hard ball and the dirty ball, you'll win the game and that was it. Hard work was tactic number two, like and you'd kinda of laugh at it, but essentially they're the two fundamental things. If if you can do that in the match and enough of your players can, you'll end up winning. But it's the one thing I would take from probably my own playing career. I don't think I was the best manager of myself uh, playing. If I got injured, I would play through it stupidly at times. Like I don't think I ever wanted to miss a training session. But that sometimes, and uh, near the end, was to the detriment of my own playing career that you know, clearly I was trying to play, wasn't able to play, and I was having a negative effect. So there are little things like that as well. You know, The rest, I never took rest in the game. Like every single night of the week, if you weren't doing something, I felt that I was you know that i was, it was a it was a massive negative on my playing career, whereas now these kind of learning aspects that you you get from that you're able to bring to the players sometimes I can see certain certain players in the Dublin team are just constantly over they're overdoing themselves and they're never happy and it's grand then to take your own bit of you know experience from your own career then as well, and kind of go, you need a night off, you need to just relax. If you see someone worrying about something, whether it's exams or college or family life, just take a night off, and that's it. It's gonna be of far more benefit to you. So there's little things like that. That thankfully, I think I'm a better manager of a of a team than I was myself. And you know, again, you're trying to you're trying to instill belief and trying to instill confidence in the girls. But I think that's something that was lacking in Dublin for years. They had the players, but I suppose they didn't have the belief in themselves. But you're kind of hoping that you know empower themselves. That's that they can drive on, they can see the improvements in themselves and how they're playing and that'll build a confidence. So that's,
0: that's a central part of what you're trying to do. You're trying to um, like empower those players to to like to nearly have a player-led themselves that they'll drive on at. It. You
1: have to. I, I think that's the biggest difference between, I suppose, when I started off playing as a young lad and now when we used to turn up to the pitch, we'd always, and even with Kenny, like, that, like I said earlier on, if train was a seven, the keepers on the field at a quarter past six trying to improve on different skills. Everyone was on the field by half past six. Whereas then sometimes you go you you know, you may see a team going down training and if trains are seven they'll arrive at five to her five past and that's it and the hands are out kind of going, right, what are we doing tonight? Supposed to well like what did you do before training to make yourself better? Sort of they should you know, I, I think players need to take responsibility themselves, need to find their own motivation as well. It can't always come from management. That just kind of frustrates me. You know, get out on the field, try and improve your own things. We'll try and work on tactics. That's what we're here for. But there's certain elements of the game that you clearly need to improve on. And sometimes you'd go up and ask them, kind of, what are you improving doing that? What you're doing there? You know, ten yards away, talking to each other. I know there's a fun. I know you you have to have the fun aspect, but you can do that in the dressing room before and after. As soon as you get out on the field, you're here to work and try and improve. And you know, you're not always going to be able to win. Not everyone is going to be able to win, but. If you can't, try and constantly improve and that's what we're trying to say to the girls.
0: You're talking a lot about improvement, um, do, do you, and you mentioned about seeking improvement as yourself as a coach and stuff like that, are there opportunities for learning at the level that you're at or what opportunities are there for learning at, at that elite level? That is absolutely, it's everywhere, like even the, some of the coaching forums as well that the camogie
1: have put on there this year, you see the ones that are on in Crow Park, um, the books, you know, anything. Listen to podcasts. Listen to different managers. It's, it's. There's always something that you can learn. Different ways to say something. You know, You know, that's the great thing about going to last last Sunday, watching the the match. Just watching different styles. Like when we were in Kilkenny, you know, we had such a winning style. Like, you know, Brian had won eight earns in ten years, and you think that's the way to do it. But that even. That has evolved now. It's playing the ball through lines. You know, it's brilliant to watch John Kiley's team, and I, I thought this, it was probably the best score for me all year was watching Kilkenny against Limerick. Obviously, it wasn't great for Kilkenny now, but um, the ball was cleared out. There was there was five Limerick lads on one Kilkenny lad, Billy Ryan. Instead of Limerick getting the ball and driving it back down, that's what we would have been brought up doing, just get the ball and strike it, and if you're good enough up the far end of the field, you'll win it. But Limerick, nice and calmly, just played the ball out to Tom Morrissey, and off he went. Didn't get rid of the ball, didn't rush a shot, sold it all the way up the field and got the winner and stuck it over the bar. And that's the way the game has gone. They have a tactic and they have a. And that's what we're trying to coach the girls, that there's going to be chaos during the match, but you've got to stick to the game plan, stick to a structure that you can always fall back on that. And that's what I loved about Limerick. Even when Kenny came back that day from about eight, nine points down, that even when the pressure came on, they stuck to their structure and ended up winning the game.
0: Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot now what's the best book coaching resource that you would recommend to some of the coaches listening
1: that book that I mentioned already Pressure Principle by David Allred is absolutely brilliant I couldn't it's after I, I just think it's everything that's good about it he's, he's basically coached everything and everyone from from the England rugby team golfers soccer players to dolphins you know it's, it's, it's fantastic uh, the other one then Legacy the All Blacks probably know that uh, book as well Steve it, Cares that's it, it just yeah. about building um the team culture, it's just the two of those books I would definitely recommend. Your
0: top tips for a developing coach?
1: Um, I suppose, first of all, just set the high standards yourself. You know, you're talking about, I think players nowadays are extremely intelligent and they know when someone is bluffing and when someone's putting in the work and you've got to put in the work and players want to... What they want when they turn up to train and to know that things are organised and you have to be, that's simply it. I think honesty is another massive thing as well, that if they see, again, if they, if they see that you're bluffing and you're not being truthful, they won't follow you. So it's, it's there's a there's a massive element to that, that make sure that everything you're saying, that, you know, whatever you're saying, that it is truthful and y- you mean it and because they're able to see through that kind of stuff and, and I suppose the third thing is just, get to know your players and get to know what makes them tick. Every single player is different and they mightn't be, they, might, they have their own pressures in life and you have to understand that as well and you have to bring some bit of a fun element into training as well that it can't all be serious. That there has to, they have to be able to enjoy it otherwise they won't come back year and year. They won't follow you into battle then as well. So between those two things, organisation, honesty
0: and just trying to bring the fun element. Last question, what does the term successful coach mean to you?
1: When we were with Kenny, it was either the, the phrase was always, unless you won the All Ireland, it was a waste of a year. So that can't be, you know, you, you can't bring that to every single team that you, you go with. For me, you either win, you win or you learn, basically. I know that, that great coach Kevin book there as well that he had out there. It is a simple case of that. But you can either win the way I've said it to the girls there this year, you can either win or improve, and that's what you're trying to strive for. That even if you don't even if you don't try and find some level of improvement. Go away yourself as a player and we will as a coach. Try and find three things you're happy enough with and three things that you want to develop or three things that you want to improve on from the next day. But that to me is success that if you see a team playing and improving all the time and you see players doing something that they haven't done or they weren't doing a week or two weeks or a month ago, if you see them doing it, uh, if you just see them doing it now and working together as a team, that to me is success. Obviously winning the All-Ireland is great as so. well.
0: Thanks very much for coming on.